If you want it, baby, I can show ya. If you want it, I can get to know ya. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. Let me explain as I'm taking it off. Let me explain how I feel about us. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. I can show ya. Welcome to Spam Donation World Podcast. And today I've got a very special person with me, a person that came to me, I guess, to say in a time of need when Sperm Donation USA was on its knees, so to speak, there was allegations going around. There was a New Jersey cop trying to delete my group and <laughs> and then there was uh, women divided and uh, there was gossip and there was drama. It was insane. And I reached out and originally found a lady by Christina who said I support women's rights in America and we want to do this and then all of a sudden a full backflip happened on me there and it just was like oh my god how crazy is this this country going in the donor world and so I put another uh, post out there looking for people who are interested in moderating and helping me get this group back on track. Do you remember those days, Elaine? Yeah, unfortunately I do. And you were one of the crazy ones to be crazy enough to help me out and put your hand up and offer your, offer your help, which is, was kindly appreciated. Yes. It was um, the start of a new journey for me. It really was. I've started moderating, you know, lots of groups since then. Um, it has opened my eyes to a lot of information and give me the chance to research and explore on my own as well and see the good and the bad of the donation world, I guess to say. We want to turn around and make it all good. That's what we right. want to do. Your, you know, your vision coming to light. Mm. And we can see in Australia it's going pretty well, but, you know, in America we can, we've still got a bit of work to do and there's going to be a few things that happen and, Hopefully once COVID stops, we can sort of get things on track. So anyway, tell us about your own personal journey. Uh, you know, you've come in, you've obviously, you've had a, a young daughter, Ember, and uh, she's very beautiful. She's, uh, she's in uh, beauty pageants, which aren't really that big in Australia. So if you want to explain about your life and how you got here and, and what, you know, as this... I'm presuming you're a single mother. Or, uh, yes. <laughs> um, I'm a single mother by choice. I um, did, I guess, almost like any single woman does, went out, met this guy, wanted to start a family. Um, I started tracking um, for three months, and then I was able to conceive her on um, the first try. Um, things did not work out between... Um, the two of us. Um, he's still an active participant in her life, but we are not together. So I'm a member of a, many single mother by choices groups, even single mothers trying to conceive. Um, but I have completely gone that route. That is the route I have chosen for myself in the way that I feel most comfortable. If anyone is interested in that, I think that that's a good route to go to really kind of get yourself together and know yourself before you become someone's parent. But she, at about one years old, everybody would tell me, you know, she's so cute. She's so adorable. You should put her in beauty pageants. She should model. 
So we started at our local mall. We did a little beauty pageant where you dress them up in the pretty dresses and do their hair and makeup. And she won. And after that, we just continued to do them. We did bigger and bigger pageants where they would pay thousands of dollars. And she has, she is what they, um, it depends on the pageant you're at, but she is considered like a level three or um, a level four, but she is a pro competitor because she's won more than a thousand dollars. And she has a coach, but our coach lives out of town. So sometimes we Skype, we get video lessons, but that is her passion. She loves the stage. She likes to dress up and be seen, but she also does competitive swim and dance. So she's kind of a little athletic too, but she's definitely more of a girly girl. Uh, she had her birthday recently and when she got her money, she wanted to get her nails done. So she really, really does enjoy that. It's interesting, you know, like for me, uh, obviously I said we don't we have uh, too many beauty pageants and I wouldn't even know where to enroll my children up for <laughs> that. And when I do watch TV and stuff, it's, it does seem like it's Americanized thing. And and I think it's, it's, uh, it's interesting and wonderful because you see the children all happy and stuff like that. But I guess, is it hard when she doesn't win? Like, do you have to teach her between winning and losing and, and all those sort of values? Is, a, is that sort of something you have to juggle with? It's, it's a very unique situation. Um, because when they cry, you don't really know what they're crying for. Because I know as a parent, I build mine up and I tell her all the time how gorgeous she is and her dad does. Everyone does. But I think it's the prizes. I mean, they used to give away cars, but now they still give away $10,000, $20,000. I guess the little ones aren't as into cars, so they give away the money. And I think they have their eyes so on the prize that when they don't get it, um, that's what they're crying about. Because I don't necessarily think it's not believing that you're not beautiful. I just think it's that the prizes are so lucrative. Like they really want the stuff. We just went to a puppy pageant where they gave away Shih Tzus. Mind you, we have a nice little Yorkie at home that was expensive. And when she didn't get the Shih Tzu, she was fine. And I'm like, well, we had a Shih Tzu up until you were two. Like we don't need a Shih Tzu where we went to a pageant this summer and the prize was a television and she didn't get the TV. But I'm like, we have four or five TVs at home. We didn't really need the prize. But I guess it's just the thought of winning it or the idea that really gets them. I grew up on Shih Tzus. I had a couple of them with my parents. <laughs> well, let me tell you, when you only give away five and there's like a hundred and something kids there, there's a lot of tears. I think they can play five, maybe seven, but it was probably the most dramatic pageant I've been to was like, all these kids are crying and they didn't get a puppy. And most of the parents are like, oh, thank God we're not driving home with a puppy. I know that's how I felt. <laughs> so uh, what, did you not do a makeup properly for that one? Or <laughs> like to try and sabotage the... You just never know. You really just never know. Um, with that one, that pageant, there turned out to be a lot of issues far beyond what we could deal with. Mm. So, you know, it wasn't her fault. Do you find that you that she 
has rivalries and friendships that she makes or you make friendships with other mums and other like mums that you're like, ah. Like, <laughs> you know, you find out that some people you thought were your friends that um, you talk to all the time are actually talking bad about you behind your back. I am one of those parents that's obsessed with my kid, but I feel like I tried so hard to get her here. It's different when you're a single mom. It's not like you have someone giving you sperm every night. You have to calculate everything and plan everything. And she means a lot to me. I know that everyone believes that their child means something to them, but I guess as a single mom, I really believe that I tried harder than most. I would believe I would equate it to almost being lesbian, but I'm not lesbian. I say I'm strictly dickly, but I feel like I put in so much time and effort to get her here. And we should all just be thankful that she graced the planet. Like I'm obsessed with her. And I've heard other parents say like, oh, she thinks Ember's perfect. She thinks that Ember, you know, can't do poorly on stage, but I know she can, but I'm not going to, say bad things about my own child when we get home I'll say you know hey we need to improve this or we need to do that or the clothes aren't right the judges are saying you know smile more we do try to improve but there are lots of jealousies now that um she's not one of the top competitors in her age group there's not um as much rivalry but when she was more on top of her game and competing every weekend where she was going, who she was coaching with, what she was wearing and people talking more bad, um, saying um, bad things about us behind our backs. And it's unfortunate because sometimes it rubs off onto their children. And my kid is like, happy, happy kid, loves everybody. And some of the kids become standoffish and we believe it's because what their parents are saying about your child when you're not around. Do you find that you've lived this life of your daughter now and you've, you've embraced this lifestyle and you, you see how she thrives on it and, and it's created the person that she's become. It seems like it's something that you both are passionate with. When it comes to considering a donor or looking for a donor to, for your next child, do you, is it important for you to look at features of the donor and how they may combine with your genetics in order to have a child that's going to be you know, about self-esteem and, and presentation issues and stuff like that. Is, is it important for you to consider features? Definitely. Um, it's hard to find someone that kind of favors her dad because he's of different races. So um, I just knew that going into it, once I kind of got into the donor world, that I wasn't going to find anyone um, with his racial makeup. But I did want to find someone who already had children that looked like they could be a sibling of my child. So that was important, you know, having kids that I felt like looked like they could be siblings. And I'm a pageant mom. I'm always going to be a pageant mom. I want a cute kid. Of course, me and myself, I'm like, oh, I'm attractive. I would always have a cute kid. But realistically, you want a nice looking donor. Um, so that I can produce a nice looking pageant kid. I hope that doesn't sound um, bad or anything, but it's true. Nobody wants an unattractive child. So um, it's weird because I feel like I ended up with an attractive donor. A lot of people say that he's um, handsome, but that's not how I found him or why I sought him out at first. I really wanted someone who was going to be reliable 
Um, and it just so happened that was an added bonus. Like, oh yeah, we'll probably have a nice looking kid together. But that was important to me because I'm always going to be a pageant mom. I did beauty pageants myself as a child. My mom is a pageant winning lady in the older group. She's a top competitor still. She loves pageants and all of her grandkids do pageants. It's going to be our life. So yes, that is important to me. I think some people might consider that a bit shallow, but the reality is we live in a world where people are so judgmental and it's, you know, it does go to show that people who fare more on the attractive side seem to sometimes get a, a sweeter ride in life or more opportunities come their way, not because of what they should be judged on their, their mindset, like their, you know, the hard work that they put in to, it's like a free little free kick advantage sort of thing to get, get going that does help so i mean look everyone has different values and opinions on that but uh you know at the end of the day you got to pick one that that you feel is right for your child and obviously you you want to raise as well so the, I, I think your reasons are valid uh, the, you would have your pe- you would have people out there would that go oh you know she's shallow or something like that but i mean that's you know that each to their own you know right so you are on the single mothers by choice groups. Is that how you came around the idea of an online sperm donor? No, I actually came to it from other pageant moms who have these gorgeous kids and they're lesbians. So where are you getting these babies from? And they told me <laughs> because I guess we're shallow, but we don't want to admit it. <laughs> Did she give up the, the, the hot sauce? Yes, they told me my dog wants to be in the video so bad. They told me and I um, where to join and how to track and they got me started. I mean, I would assume that a, you don't know more about your body than, you know, being a lesbian woman and how to try to find sperm and different options that are out there than someone who does not have access to sperm. And they were the ones who told me everything and here you are now i mean ember's she must be how old's ember now seven seven years old so you've been you've had a few attempts and trying i'm i'm, I'm not currently aware you're in your two-week wait previously but it seems like the two weeks keep going really quickly so i'm not exactly <laughs> sure where you're at uh but you have you've had a few a few attempts now and uh this time around, seven years later, I'm guessing, I mean, no one, no one here would be, as a woman anyway, would be as fertile as they were seven years ago. Right. And it does seem that you are having a bit more, uh, I would say trouble, but more, it's more of a, it's more a longer journey this time than it was with Ember. Right. I think one of the main issues is um, distance between me and the donor. Um, he's popular, so he travels a lot. But I will say that he has made himself available. Um, but I would think that one of the biggest issues is going to be if you use a donor who's more popular, especially one that's willing to travel, that you have to work around their schedule um, and be flexible to can you travel to them? Can they travel to you? And just kind of seeing um, where you are. In, in that moment in time, in that window, because he's trying to fit in IVF and freezing and, you know, all kind of various things, but he's been very flexible 
like um, this month he was in Nashville and he was like, do you want me to come and freeze um, a sample? But at the time my grandmother was sick and I was like, I wonder if you can go to the clinic without me. So that didn't work out, but he's really flexible. So you just, when you don't have like a boyfriend or someone who's constantly with you, you're going to have to be more flexible and open to other options can I do IUI, IVF, can I freeze and start looking for clinics that may not be local because the clinic that I use is about three hours south of where I live. Wow. Um, Because my local IVF clinic is so particular. Um, They're not into donors. They, um, you can't be obese. Um, I'm not out of their age range, but um, you can't, be out of their age range. Um, they just have so many reasons why they won't work with you. And they're the only IVF clinic local in the city. Now they were willing to freeze his sperm for me, but um, they're just very, very hard to work with. So is that, I is, just, that, is that because they're trying to focus on like records as in like high success rates rather than figure it out. Like I have a girlfriend who tried with them and um I think she started the process at like 44. She had just gotten married and her husband had um, no children, but she had two children um, who were grown adults at the time. Um, But she ended up doing, trying with them, but she said they were so negative that she just couldn't take the negativity anymore. But I kind of got the impression that maybe they were only willing to work with people who they felt like could give them success rate so the clinic would look better. Um, it's just very disappointing, but I ended up figuring on my own that that's what happened. I mean, I had a girlfriend who was about 260 pounds, maybe five, two, five, three, when she started working with them. They told her she needed to get her BMI down to the 20, 25th percentile, I think. And she did. Um, she did what it took and she got pregnant. But ironically enough, because they pushed so much for her to lose weight, she got pregnant on her own. So I guess in essence, it does work, you know, being a healthier, you know, lifestyle makes it easier, but then she didn't need their IVF or their services anymore. And she didn't want them because she felt like the whole time they were being so negative. So it kind of hurt them because they lost a patient who could have made it, you know, made them look more, I guess, in a positive light. The whole American clinic scenario, fascinating in the sense that they don't really provide, uh, regulation and tracking of anonymous donor sperm there but when it comes to uh, success rates they're all for that you know recording that and getting the best you know results possible (laughs) and then being able to claim it to everyone else say look at us we're the best in the state or we're the best in america or it's 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 it's, yeah it's it's interesting isn't it like when you look at that way i guess it's because you know our medical industry here is privatized and being so close to Mexico, like that is where I was going. Um, We had already, you know, talked that we would go down to Mexico. Plus I had a timeshare and I was like, I can go down there and I can know I can stay at least for a week and not have to pay. But on the flip side of it being privatized, when I talk to women like maybe in Great Britain and I'll say, oh, they might say, oh, I'm having a hard time tracking, or I don't know if I'm actually ovulating. I'll say, oh, well, just 
go and get an ultrasound or go and get blood work. Oh, you can't do that here. You can't just go and get blood work. You just can't go and get an ultrasound. It has to be approved by this step and that step. I don't know the exact terminology, but that is like disheartening to me because I'm like, well, I can go for $14 and get blood work every single time. And I know that I ovulated and I know how many follicles I produce. And it's, it's either an oxymoron or like a catch 22. Like it's so easy here to get access to medical care and what you want. Cause you just pay for it. You get what you pay for. And I don't know if it's better to have free medical care and not be able to get whatever you want when you want it. But it has really been beneficial to me in this process. I mean, there are parts of my insurance that cover infertility. So I've been able to get all of my labs, all of my ultrasounds, everything and come out of pocket so little, but they didn't cover actual procedures like IUI or IVF. So I just started researching and I found a clinic that did three, three IUIs, medicated, monitored for $1,000. And so I was just like, oh, well, I'll go that route. And then I said, okay, well, if I have to go to IVF, I found a clinic in Mexico that was 2,700 US dollars and they would do the IVF and it gets cheaper, you know, if you have to come back more and more. So I just have liked the way things are and it has worked out easily for me. And I feel like if you really do your research, whether you're a single mom or a married couple, you can find a clinic within your budget. And it's not really that hard to save up just a few thousand dollars. I mean, you could use that $600 that President Trump is giving you. <laughs> oh, is he giving you $600? Wow. Yeah, whole $600 after six months of waiting. Not even enough to pay for an IUI, but hey. I think car government over here gave us $600 in power bills. So I don't even check. So I guess they're all giving it out somewhere. Uh, so your process now, you, you know, you, you're working with a donor that's highly popular, jets around the world. Uh, do you find that, I guess, one of the, I wouldn't say the advantages of not falling pregnant straight away, but you, you're building a bond the longer you've been working together or does it come challenging at times? That is, that's funny you say that because I feel like that has been like the best part for me because I didn't expect to get that part. Um, he's met my parents, he's met my cousins, my best friend, um, my kid a few times. Um, she thinks he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I think he's like the kid whisperer, to be very honest. And I've got to meet some of his donor children. So that's been like an added bonus. Do you, do you love the concept of an experienced donor having many children that you can have that ability to form friendships with the mothers or um, your child, your future child or your, your current child to have that friendship uh, relationship with other potential donor children of his is an interesting aspect, so to speak, that you can look forward to? Um, I worry. Um, and I guess this is like, um, I don't, 
I want to word it correctly because I don't want to like say it as if I'm putting his business out there, but like sometimes we'll talk and he will um, say, oh, the moms in, he has a donor group where, you know, the moms are together and he will say, oh, the moms are arguing and it makes him feel uncomfortable. And so I almost shy away from that because I'm concerned that maybe I will be a part of that and I don't want to um, be a part of like anything that might make me feel uncomfortable, but I do want my child to have that connection with siblings. Um, I think it would be kind of like an added bonus, but it would probably be more beneficial for me if he were closer or, you know, local, but I don't mind traveling. I mean, we're always in his area all the time. That's probably why it was easy for me to use him as a donor but I just don't know, um, like if things take off um, with the producers, I wonder how the other moms would think of me um, being in a bigger project with him. Um, I just, I don't know. I think that's one of those types of things that you just have to kind of see because women are just jealous by nature. Um, so that could become an issue, but I would only see it as a positive. And yeah, you're right. There's, I don't know. I think it must be genetically, in, you know, embedded in us as humans. Um, obviously, men have, uh, you know, they reckon men have got bigger fists because evolution-wise, they fought their problems by fighting each other. And obviously, women don't have those characteristics, so they're more uh, thinkers and obviously... Um, want to have ownership of a man in a way that you know that they can sort of control uh it, it's 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 very hard to actually say and put into words um that and obviously evolution is sort of hard to you know we're only putting theories together as well as uh, as humans rapidly develop now and through technology to where we're now donating online to people <laughs> uh but I would have thought a person that picked someone with that such experience comes with the parcel of being a selfless person of going, okay, well, my child is going to be a part of a large brood. Um, are they arguing over silly stuff like my kid's the greatest or, you know, or, I mean, it's, it's, you know, something normal that stuff. He's, he's only mentioned normal stuff. I think lately it was like political stuff. Um, he hasn't said like anything like, I would say vain or shallow or anything like that. Oh, like my kid's the cutest. He's never mentioned anything like that. It's more like general life things. You know how people say, don't talk about like, you know, politics and finances and things like that. They're arguing over everyday life. So I guess that's normalcy. I totally understand that. I remember like politics before social media really came out and there wasn't a million articles per day trying to push agendas by different media outlets and stuff like that and it used to be people used to sit around and talk about it but it didn't seem like it was such an attacking like a hatred towards each other that has developed developed now and I just like from afar watching from Australia watching the US elections and people are like hating each other because they they support a different person on the different side of the the fence to what they support and to me it's just like I have since not even really cared about politics 
in the last 10 to 15 years because, yeah, all it does is people are fighting and essentially over here in Australia, like, uh, I just see it as two people that are just saying uh, it's night and then one saying it's day or, you know, just arguing for the sake of it, just to have, have power uh, and there's no real old school values anymore for a political party. It's sort of just each one's going to have to have their own spin on things. And so for me, I'm just not interested anymore in, in politics. All it does is it becomes a touchy subject for people to uh, want to hate you or dislike you. So right. why, why get involved? <laughs> right. I don't know that they're, you know, how bad it gets or, you know, what the arguments could be like, but I just, I don't know. I'm hesitant, but I'm open. Mm. Uh, like you know for me I listen to arguments about um, transgender rights or um, LGBTQ rights and and stuff like that and I heard there's a lot of stuff like Trump isn't for this and he was going to ban it but I didn't see any bans happening it just seemed like people were were suggesting that he was going to do this and stuff like that so until something actually happens in any part of the world in politics I just take it with a grain of salt so uh, obviously, I don't support any anything like that. But yeah, I just yeah, I just obviously you might know a bit more than I do. But yeah, I just um, you know over here you see people accused. Well, over here I get accused of stuff um, as a donor running it. You know, people say, oh, when you got a group that's ten thousand people big, and you have to remove people and ban people from stepping out of line, you become an enemy towards people. Uh, that you know they dislike you because you've removed them from the group and and then they speak on the single mothers by choice groups and they're like oh i hate him he's a he's a narcissist or he he, he's got a big ego or this and that and and i've been told all these rumors that i'm going well this is so not true like where you know what's come from but people need to uh try and put you down to make themselves feel better and yeah it's you can you can get down by overanalyzing that or you can say well look i know who i am i know what i'm about i'm not going to enter this debate with you and and yeah there's a lot of hate out in this world but i'm just doing it i created a group and a community that's meant to be about love you know meant about creating families and stuff like that so i definitely think we're in the uh the right environment so with your donor have you ever discussed the possibility of using a backup donor if he's not there? And, uh, you know, what is there any backup plans or how does he feel about that? Or has that not ever come, come to the forefront? We did recently um, because um, he wants to keep trying um, naturally. And I'm like, I'm ready for IUI. I'm ready for, you know, IVF to move on. And he just feels like we have not tried enough. And he was like, um, he asked me, have you tried, you know, with another donor? And I was like, no. And he, and I said, should I? And he was like, oh no, we just need to keep trying. You just haven't tried enough. And um, so we just left it at that and we didn't discuss it again. Yeah, fair enough. Are you trying this month or you, got, you still don't yes, know? Yes, I'll be the day after Christmas, the Christmas Ooh. day. That sounds like it could be good luck, if anything, could it? <laughs> Fingers <guess>. crossed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, look, you do a lot of interactive posts in the group. 
we, when you talk to people and you bring up um, different topics and stuff like that. I think I've read one that you put about pregnancy symptoms. Uh, yes. <laughs> and um, peanut butter on pickles and stuff like that. That was one of my favourites. <laughs> <laughs> what other crazy favourites do women get or, you know, what... Well, we don't really have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches over here in, a, in Australia. So it's sort of like, oh, it sounds like it's in. Yeah, I don't. Um, now, one of the women on the thread said I need to warm the peanut butter up and mix it with the pickles. I haven't tried that, but I do eat them like separately, but at the same time. Um, I guess it depends on how you're feeling. And I also read that. When you, when you do have your next baby and you're in labor that you will be uh, using an epidural? Yes, definitely. Um, I went through labor pains. I guess I got there Wednesday night, midnight. Um, and she didn't come until Friday evening at seven o'clock at night. And I only got to six centimeters dilated and it was just a horrible, excruciating pain. I don't know how people say they forget it because I did it. I think it was too many people in the room. I don't know if I was just emotional or sensitive, but there's nothing really to do. Everybody's there waiting on the baby. So the people in the room just all kind of took their turn looking at the machine, letting me know when the contractions were coming. And we can just skip all of that the next time. There's no reason for me to lay there and have contractions. I just want to go straight to the operating room. Like that just was and not I, for me. And yeah, I, I don't blame you. I've sat in on a couple of births now and I can see, I, I feel the pain. <laughs> and I'm not the one feeling the pain. Uh, uh, but I've listened to a lot of um, podcasts about fertility and um, donors and donor sperm and, and, and American podcasts. And one of the things that I came across, which I was really shocked, was about how doctors over in America, and I'm not sure how recent this was, but it did sound pretty recent, that they believe that African-American women couldn't feel pain, so they never gave them pain relief or epidurals. And I thought... Wow, how um, insane is that for doctors to, or medical advisors to come up with something so, yeah, insane? And I was like, have you heard of that before? Yes, I heard of it like um, in the maybe 17 and 1800s when um, the medical profession was learning about the female anatomy, not recently, um, but when they were exploring and writing um, medical books and terminology, they would use the African American um, slaves to just cut them open and explore the female body. They would not give them any pain medication or anything. Um, oh, I forget. There's a doctor who's known the most for his research because he had one female slave in particular that he did so much research on. And lately when things got heated um, this summer in the United States, they wanted statues of him removed because there's the, he did a lot of medical research, but there's also the fact that he was doing it to slaves 
by killing them basically. But yes, there is um, a higher mortality um, rate for African-American females during childbirth. Um, I don't know if that's due to inadequate um, access to medical care um, or what the reasoning is behind it, but they do, you know, get pain meds and taken care of and things like that, but there must be a reason behind it why the um, medical care for African-American females is still not equal to that of Caucasians uh, in America still. But yes, there was a lot of research done using African-Americans, especially slaves, believing that um, they could not feel the pain. But I mean, as recent as the 1900s with the Tuskegee Airmen, and they did research using the men in syphilis. So it's just, we still have a long way to go. Um, uh, well, yeah, I do think we certainly got a lot of way to go. Like I hear a lot of doctors say unexplained infertility and and like they can't explain it because they don't have the answers. Uh, and it could be genetic as well a little bit because I, when I did my uh, how to increase your chances of having twins page, um, it found uh, that Nigerians uh, women had the highest rate of twin births around the world. And I think that was roughly around one in 30 pregnancies would result in yeah. twins. Whereas I think uh, uh, Caucasians was one in 66 or one in 75, somewhere around that, that mark. So, Yeah, it's like that even um, in the United States. I mean, they talk about how high your chances are as an African-American female. I mean, I know like in my family, my grandmother has twins, my cousins have twins. Um, my cousins that are twins have twins. I just think it's very common in the African-American community. I know like, because I've been going through this, like my doctor said that I ovulate on both sides. He's like, you produce an egg on every, both ovaries every month. This is just what we figured out. He was like, you can keep coming in for an ultrasound, but this is going to be the same thing that we go through. I so, mean, America is a very diverse country. I, I haven't um, really got an experience it in terms of different areas and different states and and all that but I'm, I'm told that you know a lot of states are different and and you know you got latinos african-americans caucasians native indians uh asians indians uh yeah it's it's quite a diverse group yet what are we finding in Sperm Donation USA? You know, are we lacking male African-American donors um, in terms of comparison of, of population? Uh, what are we finding? You know, what is there a particular, is there, is there racism in our group where people are being turned away from remarks? Like, you know, how, how is our community going in, in, that, in those senses? There's an extreme lack of like African-American donors. Um, really, there's a lack of every race except for Caucasian donors. I cannot quite figure out why I've invited some of my African-American friends from high school and from college. Um, they have yet to donate, but you know, they stick around in the group. Um, I don't feel like they're being put out of the group. Um, I've had 
women accuse me, recipients, of banning African-American donors with lack of evidence of things that have transpired or taken um, place, different issues that have come up. But I assure everyone that those things are not true, that if anyone is banned, it is with sufficient um, evidence that something um, that was questionable or that would go against what our community believes was violated. But there's just a lack of um, African-American donors. I'm not sure why. My main issue is that we seem to have a hard time being able to get them to do testing. When you ask for testing, even if you're willing to pay for it, they just won't. I don't know why this has come up with a few African-American donors. In fact, I have one that I need to follow up with now because several women have said, I've asked him for STD testing. He says he has it. When I say send it over, he doesn't send it over. Um, just various questionable things. Um, but I feel like I'm fair. I try to reach out, ask questions. I wasn't um, as aware that the number of African-American donors was as low as it was because when I first started, and that's just because I didn't start out seeking um, an African-American donor. I started out seeking a donor who looked like they could produce a child that looked more like my child. Um, but these women who are looking for African-American donors are very vocal that they're hard to find. I don't know how to improve that. Like, well, you know, we just had a recent story come out in Australia about um, a Vietnamese-born um, donor, uh, Alan Fang, and he helped 23 families, and there was a big article about that that came out with the Daily Mail. And from that, we must have had over 100 Asian men that were inspired by Alan doing these media roles that we have now so many Asian donors in Australia that uh, we, we, won't, we, we won't run out for a long time for anyone who would like to use um, a donor of that ethnicity, uh, which is fantastic, except um, there's a big call of each other now competing to help, help, uh, help people. Uh, I feel I've tried, I've tried to reach out with um, an African-American donor that seems to have a legit uh, reputation in Tyree. Um, he hasn't come forward to do the podcast, but when you look at all the, uh, when you look at all the uh, big name donors who do media, Ari Nargel, Joe Donor, Carl Gordy, um, they're the donors that people, you know, if they're doing media and I'm guessing a lot of Caucasian men are, or Jewish men or whatever, you know, they're inspired by looking at them and saying, oh, that could be me. Whereas if someone, if someone like Tyree did some media or he did a podcast, a, a young African-American male could be like, hey, I could be just like this guy and see him as a role model just like uh, the, the, the Asians in Australia saw Alan Fan as a role model for them and saying, hey, I can do this as well. And 
perhaps that might be the um, the issue of of we just need someone to come out there and say, hey, like lead by example. Well, I wonder if like a lot of the African-American men are concerned like any normal person would be about child support um, and a financial obligation to the child. I don't know that men necessarily care as much as women about an emotional obligation to the kids. Although I will say I've met a lot of donors in person and you talk about their kids, they're all giddy. Um, they like to show pictures of their kids. Um, they're just proud of them. But I wonder if the African-American donors are concerned about the child support um, and what kind of financial obligation that they would have to these kids. I feel like, I know a lot of donors say they do it because women can't get access to sperm without spending upwards to $1,000 a vial and that it's not fair that it costs them so much. But I feel like if you're very selective, which they should be more selective, that you don't have to worry about child support as much. Is she professional? Can she you know, provide for the child? Some donors will just donate to everyone, which my personal opinion is I don't agree. And maybe that comes from the fact that I was a foster mother for seven years before I had my own child. I work in education. And I just see that it's so unfair to the child if the person cannot provide for the child. I mean, I would probably step on a lot of toes, but I do believe you should be able to provide for your child without public assistance in order to be a parent. I just feel like you owe it to other people because I'm a single mother and I wanna take care of my own child. I do believe that things happen to you in life you may lose your job and you might need a crutch for a time, be it welfare or, you know, public housing or something like that. But I don't feel like you should go into um, parenthood knowing that you are going to be maybe forever or solely dependent on someone else to take care of now you and your offspring. I believe it's something you should go into um, with a goal of, I want to be able to support myself and my child. And many donors just don't care. Maybe they're in it for just an eye or some kind of notch on their belt, but it's definitely not fair to the child at all. I found in Australia, we've got women that, you know, the entrepreneurs that can support, entrepreneurs, doctors, lawyers, you know, women who are highly educated, um, got good careers, had good career pathways and, and decided to use uh, an online donor uh, rather than using a clinic. Whereas in America, it seems that a lot of people want to use a clinic first and then they look. Do you find that maybe, well, at where we are at the point with Sperm Donation USA and its evolution process of, um, you know, setting up a good foundation of standards and that, that we do we do we attract a lot of poverty is there a lot of women in our in our groups there because they can't provide um and they've come here to use a donor or or do you see that the majority can i'm i'm shocked when women message me um and i always keep my opinion to myself but it is crazy to me i mean they will say things like 
oh, I'm looking for a donor. And I'll say, okay, well, my suggestion is always don't worry about the location of the donor. More about is the donor reliable? Do they have proof of successful donations and following through and donating to people when they say they're going to? And once you find someone who's reliable, then you either need to travel to them and stay in a hotel because you can get more donations and the chances of it being successful are higher, or you need to fly that donor to you. Then their response is always they want to do shipping because they can't afford to travel somewhere, even if it's by car. Um, and I'll say, okay, well, you know, you can order a kit because I know a place to get a kit for less than $100. Get the kit, ship it to your donor. And the shipping will probably be maybe 25 to less than $30 for overnight. Oh my gosh, that's out of my budget. I'm like always shocked when people can't even pay overnight shipping. And my response will always be, well, kids are so expensive. How do you plan to do it? I mean, I think about the little expenses for my child since the school year started because of going virtual, they had to have an iPad. Then once the school did provide the iPad, I had to pay insurance on it every month. Like who's going to do these things for your child if you can't pay $30 in overnight shipping? And you would be shocked at the little fees that people can't pay. And they always say, well, I have savings for this and savings. there's no way. If you're not willing to go into your savings for 25 to $30, there's no way you can afford a child. And I just tell them all the time, I really think you should kind of reassess, you know, where you are and if you're ready. But what I consider a small amount of money, a few hundred dollars, they are stressing over. It really makes me nervous. And I feel like women who are really professional, who are really serious, maybe married couples or even lesbian couples or either even single mothers by choice, just go with the clinic because they can afford to. And I feel like a lot of people, yes, who are looking for a quick, cheap, easy route, just come the donor route. What about scammers and shipping? Uh, this is a problem we don't have in Australia because we don't have test drug buffer, widely available, uh, scammers and shipping it seems like you know we get women that go i've given this guy this money and the guy's got a new account he's only been a member for two days and automatically he's a shipper like i mean is this something that you've experienced that you're dealing with since you've been a moderator in spend donation usa it's not as common but it does happen and to me it's just personal lack of knowledge like you wouldn't just send anyone any money knowing that they have to send you sperm like you need to use someone who's a verified you can look at their references all of the moderators in the group are always available to answer any questions and we try to weed people out as soon as we see them make a post that they're looking for you know, recipients and that they ship and we're like, they haven't even been in the group two hours or two weeks. Um, but we can't stop people from PMing you. That is the main issue. And that is the main thing I would look out for is, 
if they're asking you, can they be your donor and they're constantly in your box, that's a big red flag. And if they want to send you any money or they want you to send them money, that's a big red flag. I mean, I know my donor is a rarity, but he paid for everything up front and I reimbursed him down to plane tickets, to rental cars, hotels, everything we use. He paid up front, I reimbursed him. Um, and I guess that takes a whole lot of trust, like on their end, I guess maybe you look at it as like, hey, I'll get a vacation, even if I don't make the baby, but just don't be stupid. You cannot possibly send someone money and then you have to wait on them to ship something back to you. Everything should be done with you paying it and not giving them any money. Mail them the kit, go to FedEx, get the shipping label, make it so that when they drop it off, everything is billed to you. It should not cost them anything. They don't need any money. No, that's totally good, good advice. I hope people follow that and listen. They need to do their research. What struck me just then was, um, yeah, your, your donor has put all the, the costs for himself and then for you to reimburse. Uh, to have such trust for potential people that he's helping, um, I find that a really rare trait. And normally a lot of people can have that crushed when someone goes, of, goes of against them and like takes them for, say, child support. Is it stupid to be that trustworthy when people can destroy you like that? Or, or is it just such a loving nature that, it's a great quality that people, you know, last guys finish last. I think it's a little bit of both. I think that um, he does pay child support. That's a common knowledge. And that could be a part of his trusting nature. I mean, I've asked him about it. He won't say anything negative about anybody. So maybe that's um, a personality quality that could be positive and both negative. I, and you know, I've told you this before, like I question everybody, don't trust anyone from the start. Um, I have to get to know you better and see what your real human nature is. And I think that if you go the route that he does and the method that he does, yes, it could come back to you know, hurt you in the end. And it's sad because he's doing such a good deed to women or for women. And I would hate for someone to take advantage and it ends up that he wouldn't help other women. Um, I've never asked him about that. And that's probably um, something that should be asked of him since he does pay for so much upfront. Has, has that happened to him? Like, the donors say they get ghosted all the time, that that's one of the most irritating things. It's the irritating thing on both ends. The recipients talk about getting ghosted and the donors talk about planning everything. The woman was right there. We were going to meet up. She never shows up. She doesn't answer to me on Messenger anymore. I never hear from her again. I don't know why. Um, I wonder if he has been um, ghosted when it came time to like, get on the plane or whatever. I mean, I think about the first time we met and I'm, I still think how crazy it was like, oh, he just bought a plane ticket and came like sight and seen, had never met me. And we didn't even meet in the city where he lived nor where I lived. 
and he paid for everything. Like that's got to be very, very trusting. And I wonder if he has been like ghosted before and that has happened to him after he has put out financially. I, I just, I don't know if it's in his DNA makeup to be angry. Like I don't think he can process angry. Like I would love to see a, a TV show where a producer can can make him angry just for one second. Like I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but like obviously I like seeing everyone happy, but uh, just I don't think it's possible. <laughs> no, I don't. And, uh, I mean, I'm I angry. Well, no, I did. I think I've made him kind of frustrated a couple of times. I did, <laughs> did frustrate him. I could kind of tell he was frustrated, like the way he talked and the way he questioned me. Um, why, why did you say this time in the morning? It's so early. I could be sleeping and you're still in bed. Yeah, yeah. So he likes his sleep. It's probably yeah. what he's, it's probably what he's doing now. Um, <laughs> so I did frustrated. I mean, it was just, he was just getting close enough. I, I still kind of wonder, like, I wonder why he didn't just tell me everything he was feeling. He just kind of stopped. Maybe he was like, I'm getting close enough to where I probably would really off <laughs> if I kept going but he was pretty frustrated uh so what about embracing a donor's religion and culture how important is that for you to pass on a value that may not be in your um you know something that you've been exposed to or grew up with um or values you've had how important is it for a child to have that link to a religion or a culture um it's not really, um, I guess, that important to me personally. And I know I've asked him before um, because in his religion, like circumcision, it's like a big deal. And he says that he has, you know, a lot of donor kids that haven't been circumcised. And I asked him, did it bother him? And he almost said he almost thought it was like archaic or something like that and that people weren't really doing it as much. Whereas I am one of four brothers and all of my brothers are circumcised and I just cannot imagine like that that isn't more the norm. So maybe he is correct, but in my household and in my family, it's the norm. But I don't know about necessarily teaching my child one certain way. Um, my daughter is mixed with Caucasian. I don't know how to teach her how to um be Caucasian or be white um, or anything. I only know how to teach her to accept and embrace everyone and um, love everybody. You just would have to kind of know my child. She's um, nothing holds her back. Like whatever she says and thinks she just blurts it out. And so I just kind of think um, before I used to be like embarrassed all the time or always on pins and needles. But now I just kind of think of everything as like a learning opportunity. Um, if we have a friend who wants their son to wear dresses, which we do, I just use that as a time to teach her to accept and love everybody. And if that's how you feel comfortable, anybody's going to allow you to feel comfortable like that. It's kind of hard for me because we live in the South. Um, she goes to a private Catholic school. And what I have found is that they are teaching her very conservative white Christian views. Her views are, she doesn't realize it now because she doesn't understand my lifestyle as a single mother by choice. But 
um, what they are teaching her is so against how we live. And so I hope that what I'm doing in the home by allowing her to embrace everyone and exposing her to everything, if she shows an interest in anything, I celebrate it. For years, she told us because she went to the Memphis Jewish Community Center for daycare, she told us she was Jewish and we just let it go. And we let her embrace being Jewish. She still tells us she's Jewish. She also tells us that she's Catholic as well. We just embrace all of it. I don't, if I had a donor who was like, I really want my child to be a part of something, as long as it wasn't going to hurt me or you know, cost me some exorbitant amount of money, I would embrace it. But for me personally, I just want my child to embrace and love everyone and everything and accept people. Um, just be a good person, just be nice. That's more important to me than anything. But your child doesn't really know, oh, I'm Muslim or, you know, I'm, they would know their race probably by looking at themselves in the mirror, but they wouldn't know anything about what religion or culture that they celebrated um, unless you told them but I would definitely want to tell them who they were or where they came from. That's a great subject to touch on. I don't think we've really spoken about that before. Uh, so back to the group, uh, there was, uh, you know, you're trying to organize um, a donation party for a few women. How did that end up going? And, and, and just for the listeners listening today, just to explain the difference between that and uh, a breeding party. Um, I, when I started the donation party, I had never even heard of a breeding party. Um, so I'm not really quite sure of the differences. People tried to explain it to me. But what it was is I had a few friends who they wanted to all get a donation, but they weren't in the same location. So I thought, why not make it since we all know each other and we're very comfortable, why not just make it a comfortable situation? Of course, you can't time ovulation or anything like that down to a day. So I was like, oh, we'll probably need a week. It ended up being a 10 day time span. And they would use the same donor um, so that it would be easier on the donor. And the donor wouldn't have to travel to multiple places. The donor could just be in one central location and everybody who says, hey, I want to use, you know, Tim Jones as my donor, you can say, hey, he will be here during this window of time, you can come and you can use whatever method you prefer. But what ended up happening was there was a hurricane. So it kept one um, girl from being able to come. They wanted to flip flop donors but the donor everyone was leaning toward would not go get the semen analysis, didn't have up-to-date STD paperwork, but women are suckers for cute, squishy little babies. So when they saw his cute little donor kids, they were like, oh, I want to have a baby that looks like that. And his babies are so cute. So they wouldn't bend and be flexible on the donor. But I also wasn't going to allow them to use a donor who I felt like I had heard negative things about um, 
his donations. And I said, I would only participate if I knew for sure he was going to get a semen analysis. And definitely I wasn't going to participate without up-to-date STD testing. So when the donor was then not as cooperative as I would have liked, then I said, let's just wait and try again in six months. And so that's where we are is waiting for this summer when we hope that COVID will be over to try it again, because I said, well, we're all coming from different parts of the United States. COVID is, you know, still prevalent. We don't know how that's going to look, but I mean, it does make you nervous when you hear people constantly saying that this donor is giving one milliliter donations and he won't get us, you know, an analysis. I'm like, we could all fly this far across the United States and no one ends up pregnant. Like, that would that's not good. <laughs> right. So, uh-oh. Do you reckon everyone would be happy if one person got pregnant or do you reckon there'd be a bit of jealousy or envious envy towards, oh, uh, it wasn't me that got pregnant? And I, I mean, in, a, in an ideal world, everyone that was going to participate would get pregnant and it would be like a hip hip hooray situation. Right. <laughs> I was so worried that with such, you know, a low um, amount, and we know that it's not qu- quantity, it's quality, but still, I mean, we all feel like that plays some part, like, oh my gosh, these teeny tiny donations, like, but we've got to get at least, you know, something that looks like it's going to have a good count because if it's one milliliter, you know, and he's having to donate every 24 hours, you know, what's it going to be looking like by the end of the week? And I just was like, I think we need to get a count and we couldn't get a count. And I'm also hesitant when you're telling a donor that you will pay for things, which is what happened like with one of the African-American donors I was talking about. If I say I'm going to pay for something and you still won't do it, I get very nervous Um, because I believe you're hiding something. It's not going to cost you anything. I mean, you want me to pay for an Uber to come to your house and pick you up? You can pay for an Uber from Timbuktu to go get someone and drop them off. So I just was not going to participate in that because it was like, "Mm, this doesn't add up or make any sense. You won't get your semen analysis yet I'm willing to pay for it but the concept was I think it was a great concept especially for women who really like a certain donor and the donors kind of spread thin like let's say like my donor for example I mean he has a lot of women who want to use him I mean I think it would be great if he were able to say okay you know, I've got all five of these women saying they want to use me next month. What if I just went to Vegas and they all split the cost of my travel and my lodging and they all just met me there and just came in on the day that they needed me? I mean, to me, that just makes so much more sense. It's a good philosophy. It's uh, I don't think many people have considered it before. Uh, obviously, uh, when you nearly got done, the hurricane came and then and nowadays, it's bloody COVID that's making things hard as well. So, I mean, the world's not really liking us right now at the moment, in the donor, donor, donor world anyway. But on the I will say that my understanding was a breeding party was multiple women and multiple men. And you don't know who's getting who pregnant and who's doing what was what my understanding was. <laughs> Whereas my I, concept of a donation party was one donor 
but it was kind of funny because the main donor wanted a backup donor and I felt like that was because of the low count but the women didn't want that I mean they're not into like freaky stuff they want to know who the parent of their child is and there's women who often say I use multiple donors they don't care but these women in particular are like hey we want to know who the parent of our child is we want them to be siblings um we just I just don't want to pay for him to come to Nashville one week then he's got to fly to Charlotte the next week why can't we all just split his one airfare split his one week of lodging and we can all split it because we'll all be there we'll just vacation and have a good time um Unfortunately, it didn't work out. I don't know how easy it would be for like a donor to organize that, but I think it would be a much better concept. I don't know how many donors are that busy though. I mean, I know I hear like Damien say that he's booked for a long time. Um, I've heard a few donors say, you know, that they're booked. It can be quite busy, can't it? Can, some donors can be in demand and some have got the gift of the gab where they can manipulate and talk people into to stuff as well. You think even really wouldn't ever do that in real life? Mm. Well, if you did future media and you're on a, a, on a TV show or a TV series, how would you like to be portrayed? As a caring mother who just wants to have another child and um, wants the best for her children, that the method of how a child gets here doesn't matter, it's all about love. I think that that is getting lost in the shuffle of the whole sperm donation, that methodology is an issue and it really should not be. Just love and caring should be the only concern. Totally agree. Uh, it was very touching. Uh, yeah, it was a real pleasure to speak to you face-to-face on this podcast today. Um, I'm hopefully, soon as COVID-19 finishes, I can get over a plane to America at some point in 2021. Yes, we'll definitely have to meet up. I will make that a point. It'd be very nice to catch up with a lot of people over there, actually. I think Memphis, Tennessee is on is on one of my um, to-do lists to get through there at some point. So, yeah, I can't come to America without seeing Tennessee, Memphis. Uh, yeah, so, look, yeah, it was wonderful. And I love the work that you're doing and what you stand for. And it's a pleasure working with you uh, in my sister community, you know, taking, taking the reins and doing more so than what I do in that community. You know, it's always good to have good, strong American and American women, for that matter, um, doing their part to try and get us on a pathway that inspires greatness and inspires people to love and care and all those lovely qualities that you've mentioned before. So I thank you kindly for that and uh, we'll chat soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Have a good night. You too. <laughs> it's late here. It's two o'clock, so bedtime. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, wow. You really waited up. Yeah. Well, you get used to it, though, when you have to speak to so many Americans. It's like it's opposite time frame, isn't it? It's just like, yeah, completely opposite day and night. It's 
Yeah. Have so. you ever been to the birth of your of a donor kid or just your own biological kids? Uh, I got invited to one, but I was working away. I was away, so I couldn't go. It's something that I'd definitely go to if there's that opportunity to, yeah. All right. Well, um, I'll let you go. Thanks for making the time. And You're yeah. welcome. And we'll chat. She, my daughter wants to say hi. She's like sitting here on the floor and she's saying, can I say hi? So even though she has no clue who you are, she has to say hi because that's her life. Press the plus button and I can see his name. <laughs> that's his name. Yeah, yeah. You're very hi. smart. Hello. You've been, you've been really good. You were really quiet. I didn't even know yep. you were there. Crawling on the floor with the dog the whole time. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll let you go so I'm not taking up all your day and you can have fun with your mum, all right? Say bye. <laughs> this is my favorite. All right. No, this one. <laughs> this one doesn't give me any problems. <laughs> bye. Have a good day. All right. See ya. Always wanted to go to Memphis Wanted to drink with the ghost of Elvis Oh, and meeting you was never in the plan But then we were two lost souls in Graceland Yeah, you had me all shook up Couldn't help falling in love We couldn't get enough That's why I still got Memphis on my mind